Okay, we are going to be jumping into Gospels John again uh, this morning. We are yet in chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 18 through 47 uh, this morning. So let me read. This is, uh, was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him so that you may uh, marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now uh, is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those uh, who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he, he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of God. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing of my own. Uh, As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone uh, bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he is borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his words abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, that you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but, uh, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do you think that I will accuse you to the Father? There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. 
For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me that if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Needless to say, as I'm reading through this morning, I'm thinking (laughs) what more and more and more there could be said about these words uh, that we have read this morning from our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. These words uh, are a theological goldmine for those who have accepted Christ as the God-man, but they are a theological minefield for those who have not. Now, I understand that some of you in your upbringing probably didn't have a lot of theological study. Uh, There are places in the church where theology really is not so much emphasized. We are of the Reformed faith, and theology is the heart and soul uh, that we have among us. The truth is every Christian has a theology. This is basically your understanding of God, who he is, what he is doing, and how he goes about doing what he's doing. Some have a very simple theology, some have a much more complicated theology, but in fact, we all have a theology. R.C. Sproul, in his book, Essential Truths of the Christian Faith, in the preface writes these words. Every Christian is a theologian. We're always engaged in the activity of learning about the things of God. That's what theology is. Sound theology is not enough to live a godly life, but it is still a requisite for godly living. How can we do the truth without first understanding what the truth is? The Pharisees believe that Jesus is treading on turf that they believe is theirs. And they hate him for it. One of the things that we need to note here is these Jewish leaders are not interested in debating Jesus and are interested in talking with Jesus and and trying to reason with Jesus that they go from ground zero to the point they want him dead. They don't want to talk to him. They don't want to debate him because they know at this point that if they tried to do that, that he would shoot them down. Very easily. So what is their solution to the problem they find before them? Uh, And that is just simply that we will kill Jesus and get him out of the way. Jesus is becoming more and more a problem for them. I mean, most recently, the man who was healed, the lame man that was healed, that Jesus healed him, and he told him to pick up his bed and walk, and the Pharisees saw him doing that, and they called him to the carpet because he was working on the Lord's Day because it wasn't lawful for him to carry his mat. And we talked somewhat about the, uh, the dangers of legalism last week. One of the things that comes very clear in in this this particular passage is Jesus attests to the fact that he he is the Son of God. 
That's one of the emphases you find here. He's not a lesser God. He's not a created God. He is God, co-equal to God the Father. It might not have been clear to everyone what was going on here, but it was very clear to the Pharisees and the other religious leaders in, in Israel, and that was that Jesus was making him out to actually be God himself. It really is an amazing thing we can, you consider what is going on here. It should blow the mind of every one of us. That a point in time came when the very Son of God who coexisted with the Father from the, for all of eternity, with all the rights and privileges and power and authority of being fully God, took upon himself the flesh of a man and became the God-man. That one individual who is both God fully and both man fully, except for one thing. As a man, he was without sin. It should not surprise us sometimes that when we begin to tell people about about Jesus, people would question this whole concept or this idea that Jesus is in fact God incarnate. It doesn't make reasonable sense to the common person that, that a being can be fully God and fully man at the same time. The reason is because there is nothing like it. There is no comparison. There's no analogy that we can use to paint a nice, comfy, and cozy picture of what's going on here. I tell you, the saddest thing in the world is this. Is there are people today in this world, there are people this morning in churches. Who deny the divinity of Christ. Do you understand that that's why we are in a PCA church and not a PCUS church? It's because there was a significant number of, of men in that denomination that were giving up sacred ground. And as time went by, they were giving up more and more and more of it. There were some of those who had bought into what is called the social gospel. Let me tell you something, that is a misnomer. The social gospel is not the gospel. It is not even a gospel. It is absolutely contrary. It's the enemy of the gospel. And some of you find it hard to believe, but there will be people gathered this morning in churches across this land in some of our mainline denominations 
who will hear a sermon that has nothing at all to do with Jesus and his divinity. For them, Jesus has become just simply a good person that God sent into the world to show us what we're supposed to live like. So how do I make myself right with God? I just mimic the life of Jesus. I live like Jesus did. Now let me ask you something. Have you tried to do that? I hope you have to some degree. How successful have you been? It doesn't, make, it doesn't really make you want to cry that there are people in this world that, that they claim the name of Jesus, but they deny his reality. The sad thing is this, is those institutions at one time were very solidly, many of them were very solidly even reformed. And what happened was the time came on when they turned the doorknob and they let the door creep open just a little bit. They gave up on the solid footing of Scripture. They gave up on the ground, the sacred ground. And they began to give it up little by little by little, which became more and more and more and sad as it is, there are plenty of people in this world today that would claim the name of Christ, but they do not know him to be God, even when the Pharisees did. Or at least the very minimum that he was claiming to be God. Doesn't that just blow your mind? Well, we understand this. There's a day coming when Jesus will make himself known to everybody. And from that point on, there won't be anyone that will doubt for one moment that Jesus Christ is fully God. That day of judgment, that judgment day that is impending, it's coming. It hasn't come yet, but it is coming. God has promised us it will come. And it could come today or it may be a thousand years from now or, or a million years from now, but it will come. And think of all those people who will be thinking, uh-oh, boy, was I wrong. Not just a little wrong, but way wrong. Can you imagine the arrogance of these Pharisees? Just a measure of how deeply embedded sin is in the human heart. And let me tell you something. If it wasn't for God, you would walk in exactly the same shoes. That God is the only one that's ever made the difference in any sinner's life. God coming. God indwelling. God changing.
And yet we sit here this morning understanding that we are still sinners, even though God sees us through the righteousness of Christ, which he's given to us at this point. We see ourselves as those who continue in sin. Sometimes people, theologians, classify sins into two different groups. One they call sins of omission and others they call the sins of commission. Omission is not doing something that God has told us to do and commission is doing something that God has told us not to do. Omission, for instance, would be if we did not remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Or if we did not honor our parents. Sins of commission would be things like when we commit murder and we uh, commit adultery and we steal and we lie and we covet. Remember, Jesus is being charged here with violating the Sabbath day. In the minds of the Pharisees because he did work. Or ultimately because he healed someone. And then he told them to pick up their mat and walk. Which according to their standard was doing work on the Sabbath day and therefore was absolutely forbidden. Sin is a thing of the heart. Sin goes deep, very deep into us. It's not something that's just there on the surface. It's a manifestation of what lies within. And I just want to remind us this morning that Jesus said this, if you're ever angry with your brother, you have essentially murdered him. You've committed that commandment, thou shalt not kill. And I want to remind us this morning that we violate all of these Ten Commandments in different subtle ways, far more frequently than we think. We all need Jesus, the God-man. The one who is both God and man. As much of him as we can have of him. Always. Unrelentingly. Unceasingly. At the same time, I would challenge us with the idea that there's a little bit of Pharisee that lives in all of us. There are particular sins that you see other people do that get under your skin like nothing else does. And at the same time, we all suffer from self-blindness very often to our own sins. See, this is the problem that these Pharisees had. They saw other people's sins, which very often weren't even sins. 
But at the same time, they were blind to their own. Is there a little bit of Pharisaism that lives in each one of us? Jesus wants better for us. And the simple thing is this, or the truth is this, is, is, is very often you and I settle for way too little. When we can have a whole lot more. I want to remind us this morning that we are a church that disciplines sinners. Why? That sounds kind of crazy. Sinners disciplining sinners. Wow. So why do we do it? We do it because Jesus tells us to do it. <laughs> Period. Matthew chapter 12. It's one of those things maybe we want to whittle, wiggle out of or get away from and whatever, but Jesus commands us to do it. But let, let me tell you something. We can never do it and do it appropriately without first weighing and evaluating ourselves. Of revisiting our own sins and reminding ourselves that our own sins are not misdemeanors or little sins compared to the sins of other people and that sort of thing. Do you understand that the purpose of disciplining is to renew a brother or sister in Jesus? That's his whole purpose. It's not to break them. It's not to, 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 to make them look terrible before the world and before the rest of the church and that sort of thing. It's to bring them back to where they need to be, dealing actively with their own sin. It's always for the benefit of the sinner. It's always for the restoration of the sinner. And it's also for the purity of the church. And let me just be honest with you this morning. If we had someone come in here and they went through the pastor's class and all of that and they came into my office on the morning they were going to be interviewed by the session uh, and we asked them some fundamental questions about Jesus and that person in no way, shape, or form professes Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they declare that they're trying very hard to be like Jesus. That person would not be permitted to join the Church of Jesus Christ through Spring Springs Presbyterian Church because they don't understand the very most fundamental aspects of what the gospel is. Jesus is very clearly claiming to be God himself. And he brings to bear the simple fact that there are four different things that are testifying to these Pharisees of that simple truth. You see, many of them had very high regard for John the Baptist. John the Baptist has already said this point. 
I have seen and borne that this is the Son of God in reference to Jesus. So that's witness number one. The works that he's doing. Only God can miraculously heal people. Remember his conversation with Nicodemus? What did he say when he first came to Jesus? He said, he said Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. So here you have a Pharisee even saying, <laughs> testifying that Jesus is God. Remember when John the Baptist had baptized Jesus, there was, a, there was a voice that came from heaven that said, Behold, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We understand that the Pharisees, they were big Moses fans. I mean, there wasn't a figure uh, for them any greater than Moses, you know, because Moses was the author of the Pentateuch, and he, he spoke forth the law through, uh, through Moses the prophet. There was no one more highly regarded by these Pharisees than Moses was. But it was through the writings of Moses that the picture of the Messiah began to be revealed. Think about Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah, the Passover lamb in Exodus 12, the bread of heaven the bronze serpent that we talked about just a few weeks ago. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses saying that God was going to send a prophet like me. In other words, these guys, these Pharisees are screaming for evidence. Evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. And the fact of the matter, there's been lots of evidence that's been poured forth. It's, and, and, and the picture really is, the, 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 the evidence is screaming that this is the very Son of God. Just remember this, when John first write, started writing his gospel, he said this, that if I were to write, everything down that Jesus ever did or said that the books would fill up the whole world. So what he's saying is, I'm just giving you a little teeny inkling, a little smattering of what Jesus actually did and what Jesus said in this world. In other words, you and I look at it and we see this, there's this propensity of evidence right here in Scripture that we've just covered. But at the same time, I want to remind us this morning that these people around knew for far more of it than any of us do. There were people there in, the, in, in, this, in, in this area. Remember the, the lame man that Jesus has just healed. Is he listening to this conversation that's taking place at this point? Probably. There were probably other people there that had been healed by Jesus in miraculous ways. 
The fact of the matter is, is the, the Pharisees loved the world the way it was. They had power, they had wealth, they had authority. And Jesus was taking their world and turning it on its head. What do you think is the most quoted Old Testament passage in Scripture? Psalm 110. Verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Conversation taking place from God the, between God the Father and God the Son. That particular verse is, is directly referenced seven times. Just that one verse from Psalm 110. See, the Pharisees were self-appointed sin police in the Jewish culture. They very clearly saw the sins and sinfulness of other people, but at the same time, it seems as though they were blind to their own. They were the epitome of self-righteousness. It's something that we all need to be very cautious about doing ourselves. You see, even in the church today, there are those who seem to think that it's their occupation to point out the sins of other people continually. What they need to do is get honest with themselves and look at their own heart. Let me just tell you something. If the focus of the church became less upon other people and more by every person of me, myself, and I, the church would be transformed. It would be a very different place. It would be a very different community than it is, is now. And I'm not saying that we don't need to deal with the sins in the lives of other people. We do because Christ has called us to. But our prairie, primary occupation in regard to sin is to deal with our own and put it to death. Not to be blinded by it. Because being blind to your own sin leaves, leads you to a place of being self-righteous. And if you don't see it in yourself, other people will. I seriously doubt that many self-righteous people would for one second believe or think. It wouldn't even cross their mind that they're actually self-righteous. But see, this is one of the arguments that the world throws 
against the church all the time, against believers. Sometimes I think we think the church is just, that the world is just stupid, but it's not. It sees wrong. It knows right and wrong very often. And it takes particular notice when one of these church people actually does something bad. That's proof to them that they're right and we're wrong. We do practice church discipline. We haven't had to do it many times in the history of our church, of this particular church, Springs Church, but we have. Most of you weren't even aware of it when it was going on. But the ultimate purpose of church discipline is to reclaim the sinner who's begun to drift away. To help bring them back to where they need to be. Unfortunately, very often church discipline is done very wrongly. I've seen it done very wrongly. Because very often the impression you might get from, from proceedings that take place in regard to this is arrogant, prideful people pointing out the sins of other people. But do you understand that when judgments are made, and they are made, it's sinners making judgments saying, <laughs> you're not in a good place. We care enough about you to do what we can to help bring you back to where you need to be. And one of the fundamental things there is this, is that we are mindful, we continue to be mindful that Jesus is God. That when we say no to him, we're saying no to Almighty. Then we, when we say, I would rather not, we're saying no to divinity. Do you understand that that is sin? You understand that we never have any ground ever, one iota of ground, to ever tell God no about anything. Have you ever had this thought in your mind, look what so-and-so did, I could never do that. Have you ever thought that for a moment? I caution you about that. Because one of these days, God may let you see exactly how far you are capable of going. Everyone in this room is fully capable of doing all sorts of things that you don't believe you are. The only thing that keeps you on course is the hand of God on you. 
That is what sets you apart from people out there in the world. God has laid hold of you. And you can rest assured that when God lays a hold of someone, he will never let go. He will never let go. We must never rush to judgment. There are times when we are called to make judgments, but we should never rush to those opportunities. As a matter of fact, if left to ourselves, we should run from them like a scalded dog. Unfortunately, there are church people sometimes who seem to get off on doing this sort of thing. I've known a few of them. But let me tell you, I've sat in, in and I can't, tell, I can't even tell you how many discipline cases I've sat in on. It is one of the most heart-wrenching things that, that, that ever takes place. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat in those particular meetings having to make a judgment in regard to a dear, beloved brother or sister in Christ, and having, and having to come to the conclusion that we have to intercede here, we have to bring some discipline upon this person, only to sometime later on be in another discipline meeting, disciplining one of those people that was there in that other discipline case. Very often, I've sat with guys who were guilty of sin of things as bad or worse than the things that they were making judgments upon other people about. Let me tell you, that is about as sobering as sobering gets. Because when it comes to things like this, there's something that we always have to keep in mind. This has to guide us when we're called upon to do this sort of thing. And that is this to always be mindful that but by the grace of God, this would be me. Never rush to judgment. Never be a Pharisee. See, there's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us. We give ourselves a little bit of wiggle room. But very often, we're not willing to give to other people. In other words, we very often hold people to another standard than we hold ourselves to. When it's us, it's rather loosey-goosey. But then when it's them, it's black and white.
Sin is among us. Sin is with us. And we have to deal with it. We have to deal with it in a godly fashion. You know where it starts? With every one of us. Please, please, I beg you, please. Don't be satisfied where you are. It's so easy to fall into that slump. My life is good the way I like it right now. If I do this, that, and the other, it's going to upset the apple cart or throw the balance off. God wants far better for all of us. Die to sin and live under righteousness.